we're going to be starting a new series uh, next Sunday entitled Help. And the reason why I bring up this new series is because in these two weeks between our series out of Hebrews and in this new series of Help, there's a truth that we need to grab a hold of if we want God's help in our lives. Over the next handful of weeks, we're going to be looking at different struggles, different areas where we're hurting, and we're going to learn God's strategy for the struggling and where God can help the hurting. But in order for us to be able to do that, we need this preamble, if you will, that we need to trust God in all circumstances. We cannot believe God is going to help us unless we trust him that he is the helper that he says he is. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 3, and what I want to do is I want to make sure that we know that in order to get God's help, we need to trust Him, and I want us to look at what it means to trust, then to look at what it means to trust God, and then what it will do when we trust God, what God uh, says can happen in our lives. So let's look, first of all, at this issue or this concept of trust. Let's, let's begin to examine what it means to trust. Our text is written by King Solomon, and this is what he says to his son. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, but I'm going to focus our time and attention on verses 5 through 10. But this is what he says. This was written about 2,500 years ago. It's Solomon, the king of Israel, the wisest a man in all of the world, and he's writing to his uh, adult son at the end of Solomon's life, and he wants him to remember one thing. And he says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and the years of life and the peace they will add to you. Let's just stop there. What he's saying is if you get this thing down, there's a lot of good things that are going to come as a result of it. So he says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. I want you to bind them around your neck. I want you to write them on the tablet of your heart. I want you to get up close and personal with what I'm about to tell you is what he's saying. The reason why he's saying this is so that you will find favor and good success both in the sight of God and man. Can I just tell you that when you find favor in the sight of God and man, that's a pretty good thing. That is the quintessential definition of success. So what is it that Solomon wants his son to remember, to take with him? What is it that's going to give him success both in heaven's eyes and the earth's eyes? And here's what he says. I want you to trust. I want you to trust in the Lord with all your heart. I don't want you to lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, I want you to acknowledge him, and God will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The one thing that Solomon, the wisest man in the world, wants his son to get so that he will be successful in life is to trust in the right thing. And what we need to learn is we need to learn where we find our ultimate trust. To do so, let's examine this concept of trust. The word trust is recorded 134 times in the Scriptures. 
the Hebrews had seven different words for trust. That's how important of a word and nuanced of a word it was. They had seven different words for different aspects or kinds of trust. Within the trust family, there's some brothers or cousins to it like belief and faith and reliance and resting. All of these are are siblings, if you will, or family members of this trust family. But what does it mean to trust in the Hebrews' eyes? When Solomon says, I want you to trust, what did he mean? Before I give you a technical definition, I want to give you a practical one. For the Hebrews, to trust God meant that you would throw yourself upon something else. You would take all of who you are and you would throw it onto something or someone else. Now, the best practical explanation or illustration of this is what I'm doing right now. I am trusting that the builders of this stage have built a strong enough, a sturdy enough of a deck that I'm not going to fall through because I'm putting all of my weight, leave it there, all of my resting is on this wooden frame. Now, you're doing it as well. Look around the room that you're in right now. Look around, and you're seeing a lot of trusting going on. All of you, all of you are trusting in the chairs. I picked the chairs. I hope you like them. By the way, they're the widest of all church chairs that you could buy, 22 inches wide. You get a big pastor, you get a big chair, amen? All right? We don't have dainty chairs, okay? We have big chairs, and you're trusting in those chairs. When, when Josh said, everybody be seated, I didn't see everybody go and look at the legs of the chairs and, and make sure everything's there. You got up, you stood, and then you sat down. And I don't see any of you hovering right now. I see some of you reclining. Be careful. But I want you to know you've put all of your weight, all of your trust in that chair. You're doing what the Hebrews understood, putting all of yourself onto something else. Now, let's technically define what trust is. Trust could be defined and trusting in God, especially because that's where we want to get to this morning, means abiding. It means abiding and resting. It means abiding and resting in God by discerning His goodness and His greatness And knowing you are being protected, embraced, and surrounded by Him, no matter the circumstances. Big, long definition. Let's break this down. Trusting isn't a one and done. It's an abiding thing. It means resting, putting all of your weight on God. And the reason why you do it is you have discerned, you've used your mind, your intellect, to discern that God is good, that those who trust him, they will get good results from God. God's not going to say, trust me, and then beat you up. God's going to care for you and provide and minister to you. You've discerned his greatness, that the reason you throw all of who you are into the loving arms of God is he is the omnipotent God, the creator God, who is able to sustain you, provide for you. He is able to carry you wherever you need to go. You do this knowing that by trusting God, God is going to fulfill some promises to you that you'll be protected, that you'll be embraced by his love, 
And you'll be surrounded by him, meaning he will be with you at all times. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And this happens in all circumstances of life. So when God says, I want you to trust me, he's saying, I want you to trust me in all ways. We'll talk about that in a moment. And I want you to know that I will take care of you. This is a good thing. This is something that I want you to get behind. Now, to be able to do this, three truths need to be a reality. First of all, you want to know what you're trusting in this morning. I want you to ask a question of priority, of priority. And that is you trust the things that become your priority. Write this down in your outline. Whatever is your priority is what you are going to trust. So what I mean by that is let's say you get one of those terrible phone calls at some unknown hour. Something bad has happened and you have to respond. Where is your first phone call? Where are you going in that moment? Are you looking to say, can I pay for it out of this account? Can I deal with this? Are you calling someone because they're so uh, wise and, and so comforting? So you're going to call mom or dad? Or are you going to God? Is God your priority? The second thing I want you to notice is it's a priority. It's an issue of proximity as well. To trust something means there has to be a proximity to it. Years ago when I was in the fifth grade, which is a long time ago, we went to Laredo Taft Outdoor Education Center, which is out west in Oregon, Illinois. And for the fifth graders, the job was we were going to learn what it means to uh, rely on others and to be a team. And one of the things our teachers had us do was what was called the trust fall. And the trust fall was where you would stand perched uh, above everybody else and there would be a group of people behind you and you were going to put your hands across your chest and you were going to fall backwards and these people, your classmates, were going to catch you. And you were going to trust, you were going to throw all of your weight onto your fellow students and they were going to catch you. They were going to take hold of you. And what this was to do is that we'd rely on one another, that we'd learn to trust one another. Now, here's the problem. You and I can't do the trust fall if they're far away. If I was to do a trust fall from this stage here, and you guys all said, just wait a minute, Tim, we'll catch you, but we're going to all meet in the foyer. And you yell from the foyer, hey, go ahead, Tim. I know some of you would love to see that. I'd be like, no way, you're too far away. I can't trust that when I fall, you're going to be able to catch me. So there's this issue of proximity that is necessary. Let me give you one more. It's the issue of history. History. We can't trust fully something until we've walked with it for a while, knowing that it is trustworthy. So let me explain. My most trusted confidant in this world is my wife, Amanda. We have known each other since I was 18 years of age. She was 18 as well. And we have logged a lot of miles together. We've had great times. We've had difficult times. And I have seen her day in and day out be a faithful wife, a faithful partner, a faithful woman. I've seen her at her best. I've seen her at her worst. Not very often. But I've seen her in all circumstances, and I've come to be able to trust her that she is who she is. She is, she'll do what she says she will do. She's a trustworthy person. The reason why I know that is because we've been together for a long time. 
That's true of myself with, with a team of staff here. I can trust them. We, we, we know each other so well, and we're able to trust one another. That's true at my uh, company of five Bs. Uh, I trust. I have employees that will be given cash from a job, and I trust them that they're not going to take it and just drive home with the money, but they're going to bring the money. I can trust them. Now, here's the thing with trust and history is that as individuals— It takes one mess up for trust to be lost, right? It takes one moment for a spouse to do something stupid and that marital trust to be broken. It takes one mistake by a pastor to lose the trust of his congregation. It it takes one act of theft or or act of uh, sin for you to lose the trust of your employer. And so that's why, and let's just be honest, we see a lot of people lose the trust of those around them because they've logged a lot of years of trustworthy things only to mess up in one moment and lose all of that history. Now, what I'm trying to get to is, is I want you not to trust people. I don't want you to trust products wholly. I don't want you to trust um, possessions. I want you to trust God. And what God says is to trust me means I have to be your priority. To trust me means I have to be in close proximity to the God who I'm going to trust. To trust God means that I have to have a history with God that I can know that when God says he's going to do something, that he's going to do it. Are you seeing how this is all coming together? So if I'm going to throw myself and rest upon God, I've got to know some things about God. I need him close to me. I need him to become my priority, because if not, I will never trust him as I'm supposed to. So we've got to examine what this concept means. Notice the second thing we need to do. Once we understand what trust is, now we pivot to the text, and we have to exercise a certain mindset. So we've got to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you, Now, God says this is what it involves, all right? So what does it involve? It means we must trust God. Notice, first of all, entirely. We've got to trust God entirely. Let's look at the text. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Let's stop there. When the Hebrews speak or use the word heart, they are talking about the epicenter of the human being. When you talk about your heart, it means I am giving, it's all of who I am. So when God says, I want you to trust me with all your heart, he's saying, I want you to trust me completely, entirely. I don't want you to trust me halfway or part-time. I want you to trust me in all moments of life, in all circumstances of life. That means our trust isn't just a Sunday thing. It isn't just what we do when we hang around other Christians, but in all aspects of our lives, we trust the Lord all the time and in all ways. Now, Who are we to trust? Notice it's exclusive. Our complete and utter trust is only to be given to God. Trust in the Lord. Now, does that mean we don't trust things? Well, you're trusting chairs. You're trusting brakes in your cars. You're trusting people. You're trusting uh, others to do what they say they're going to do. But our complete and Whole trust can only be given to one, and that is to the Lord. He is exclusive, so our complete trust should not be in other people or programs or possessions or plans. 
But notice the biggest enemy of trusting God completely isn't people, possessions, programs, or plans. You know who it is? It's us. Notice what the author says here. Solomon tells us, trust in the Lord with all your hearts. And then he says, and do not lean on your own understanding. You and I are the greatest enemies to trusting God. And here's why. Because we think we're smart enough, we think we're brilliant enough, we think we are creative enough that when problems and issues come that we can take care of it. Now let's be honest, if we're really truly honest with ourselves, we know we can't because we know when bad things happen, we're running for the hills. And that's why Solomon doesn't say, hey, Rest in God, don't rest in yourself. Nobody's resting in themselves, especially not as a follower of God. So notice what the author tells his son. Solomon says, don't lean. Here's the temptation. The temptation isn't that we will throw ourselves into our own hands. That, that's idiocy. We know we can't do that. But what we do is with our mouths, we say we'll trust God. But then we lean on something else. There's a difference between trusting, throwing yourself into something or someone else, and leaning on something. I like this pulpit. The pulpit's sturdy. Gives me something to lean on. After three services, you'll see me every once in a while, and I'll lean. Why? Because the back's tightening up a little bit. The knees aren't working as good as they used to. The feet start to hurt a little bit. And so I know I can't sit, but I can lean I can lean a little bit. I can put a little of my weight onto something that makes it a little easier to stand. The greatest enemy to trusting God is you saying with your mouth that you will trust God and leaning a little bit on your own. Do you see that? The subtleness of that? And Solomon says, don't do that. Don't lean on anything because the very leaning keeps you from fulfilling the trusting. So we need to trust God entirely. We need to trust God exclusively. Now notice what he says. We need to trust God exactly. Exactly. So wait a minute. What do you mean exactly? Well, to trust the Lord God, how are we to do it? Notice what he says, in all your ways. We trust God in all facets of life. We do what he says. We, we, when he says jump, we say how high. We know that what he's saying is right and true. And so a simple prayer that of one who trusts the Lord is, Lord, I will trust you in any place, at any time, no matter the cost. With every step that I take, I'm going to give it to you. It is the ultimate open-handed living. God, this is my life. You're going to lead, you're going to guide, and I will tell you there's something incredibly refreshing about that. God, my life is in your hands, and so whatever you're going to do, I'm, I'm going to be okay with it because I'm going to trust that your ways are better than mine. Now notice Solomon gives a very explicit uh, point of, of text. It's to be done explicitly, and here's, here's what he says. You want to trust the Lord? I've told you kind of in a big way, trust. Now let me give you a very specific way that you can trust. And notice what he says in verse 9. 
honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So what he says is, okay, you want the first way that you can trust God? He says, trust God with your money. The first way you can show me and the world that you trust wholly in me is to trust God with what's in your pocketbook. Now, for Americans, this is really, really easy. They've made it very easy for us as Americans to trust God with our money because every dollar that we have says what? In God we trust. Our money's screaming to us every time we spend it. Hey, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. You out and you spend it at fast food. You spend it uh, buying a new item. And it's screaming to you, don't trust me, this thing you bought. Trust God every coin that we give. When we pay our tolls, we're saying, hey, we don't trust the money. We trust God. And so listen, friends. I say this with all love and sincerity. If you are not giving back to the Lord something, and I'm not telling you to give it here, but giving to God's work somewhere, and you are not trusting God in the first place that Solomon says, this is how you can show that you are trusting God. So let me ask you this morning, how are you doing at trusting Him? Are you trusting him entirely? Are you trusting him exclusively? Are you trusting him in all your ways? Are you trusting him with your money? Now, how do you do that? What needs to take place? Notice verse 7. In the middle part of verse 7, he says, we need to fear the Lord. What it means to fear the Lord is if we're going to trust Him, we're going to respect Him, we're going to esteem Him, we're going to worship Him as something greater than ourselves. And so what I will do is if I'm going to trust Him, I'm going to say, I trust you, God, because you're greater than I am. I trust you, God, because you're wiser than I am. I trust you, God, because you're more powerful than I am. I trust you, God, not only because you're all those things greater than me, but you're greater than anything in the world. So, and I trust God, what I'm telling God and I'm telling the world is God is so much greater, so much more powerful, so much more faithful than anything in this world. That's why I'm putting my ultimate trust in him. We elevate God through our trust. But in order to do that, to fear God, notice what he says, we have to turn away from evil. Now what's evil? Evil is the idea of us being wise in our own eyes. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to man that leads to destruction. And so we think we've got it put together. Foolish living is to trust in yourself and say, I think I can figure this out. I think I've got this. Instead of giving it to the Lord and saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not uh, powerful enough to address what concerns me today. So I go to you and I say, God, you're going to have to figure this thing out. You're going to have to lead. You're going to have to guide. And I'm going to follow you. But sadly, some of us say with our mouths, I trust you, God. And then you live according to your own rules. You do it your way. So why would Solomon's son 
Why would he give away his autonomy to trust somebody he's never seen, someone maybe he doesn't know as well as he knows himself? Why would he do it? Notice Solomon gives a clear motivation. And it comes from God, and we need to embrace this clear motivation God doesn't just say, okay, Solomon, trust me. God's not saying that to you and I. Just trust me and that's it. God says, when you trust me, there are some things that can happen as a result of trusting me. Now, let's stop and give a disclaimer. I want everybody to look in their Bibles, okay, or on their sermon insert page, and I want you to look that we are preaching this message from the book of, help me out, Proverbs. Does anybody have the book of promises written as their citation? No. This is a book of Proverbs, good sayings. We know this when the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, train up a child in the way they should go. When they grow older, they shall not depart from it. And we've had people in our first two earlier services, and no doubt in this service, who train their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, only to have those children walk away from the faith. So what the book of Proverbs is not is A plus B always equals C. What the book of Proverbs says is there's a good chance, there's a good probability that if you do these things, these results can happen. Now, as we look at some of these motivations, some have already happened. So the ones that maybe haven't happened in our life, we can have trust in them because of the things that have happened have already become a reality. So let's look at these three things. First of all, God says, when you trust me, I'll give you clarity. I will give you clarity. Notice verse 6. When we trust in the Lord with all our heart, we don't lean on our own understandings, and in all our ways do we acknowledge him, what will he do? He will make your paths straight. That is, God will lead you. God will guide you. Like a good shepherd, he'll care for you. He'll, he'll minister to you. And I want you to know, if you're a child of God, if you have believed, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you know that God has brought you great clarity. He took you from death to life. He took you from foolish living to living in uh, wisdom. He's taking you from darkened thinking to now thinking in the light. He's given you everything you need. And so what we need to know and recognize is, is when I put my trust in God, he gives us clarity so that we will know what God's good and pleasing will for his creation is. Now we have clarity. Now I know what God requires of me. Now I know what God wants of me. And the reason why I know it is because what Jesus did for us is he modeled He modeled what that was to look like, what it meant to honor the Father, what it meant to trust the Father. And then he went to the cross and made it a way for us that we would have clarity of salvation. So he died on the cross for our sins, and he gave us new life in him. And we are told when we trust in him, this is what God does. He yokes us together, yoke, W, no, Y-O-K-E. He puts us together like two oxen. He yokes us together with Christ. 
And what happens as a child of God, what you do when you trust Christ as your Savior is you're brought into a partnership with Christ. So wherever you go, Christ goes with you. Now, what we need to make sure is that Christ is leading. Christ is guiding. He's the one that we are following. And he says, when we do that, my yoke is light and so is my burden. It's easy and it's light. And so we walk with Christ and we relate with Christ and we go about life with Christ as He leads and guides us every step of the way. Notice that this clarity also then brings vitality. Notice verse 8. It will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now this first one, let's look at this first one, healing to your flesh. In the more uh, literal translations, it speaks of nourishing, and some translations even would translate it literally like this. It will bring health to your navel. It's kind of a unique way of putting it. So I want you everybody think about your navel, okay? And there's only one, there's one characteristic of your navel, okay? This is your navel, by the way. My navel's a little bigger than your navel, okay? There's one characteristic of your navel. You know what it is? Your belly button. And your belly button had one job. Its job was it connected you to your mother when you were in the womb. And what he's trying to say is when you trust God, like a baby in utero that is being nurtured and provided for and nourished, so God is doing what your mother did for you while you were developing in the womb. God is developing you. God is providing for you. He's caring for you. And so when we trust God, God is feeding us. He's providing for us just as mom did. And so some of us this morning need to trust God in some ways. You're like, I'm malnourished. I, I'm struggling. I'm filled with anxiety and grief. And, and you're wondering, let me ask you, are you connected to your God? Are you trusting Him? Notice the next phrase he says is refreshment to your bones. Literally, again, in the Hebrew, it is marrow to the bones. Well, what does bone marrow do? Bone marrow is what keeps bones from being brittle and weak. So not only does God, when we trust him, nurture us and nourish us, he strengthens us. He takes that which is brittle, that which is fragile, and he changes it and he brings strength to it, rigidity to it. And so what happens is, is when we trust God and bad things happen, God enables us through his nourishment and through his strengthening the ability to endure the difficult circumstances of life. And so let me ask you this morning, how... How's your vitality? When bad things happen, are you able to endure the storm? When temptations come, are you able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil? And could it be that the reason why you can't answer yes to both of those things is you're trusting in yourself, you're leaning on your own understanding instead of trusting God who says, I'll give you clarity and I'll give you vitality? Could it be that we need to repent that we are relying wholly on ourselves instead of relying wholly on God? 
Are you living a life of vitality? Finally, do you have plenty? Verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And you know what I'm hearing right now is I'm hearing you thinking in your mind, well, I don't have what my neighbor has. I don't have what so-and-so has. Well, that's not what it says. It doesn't say your barns will be filled with more than anybody else in the neighborhood. What it says is that you will have enough. Plenty means that there's some extra after everything is there. You have all that you need. And when we trust God, can we not say we have all that we need? Can I just look out and say, y'all look like you got plenty. I know I've got plenty. I've got everything I need to live an upright and holy life. I have all that I need. The Bible says I should be content. If I have a place to live and clothes on my back, then I should be content in that. I've got way more. God has blessed me with way more than I could have ever had. And so let me ask this question again. Based on the clarity, vitality, and plenty test, are you trusting in the Lord? We're going to ask in these weeks to come for God's help. And listen, God will turn a deaf ear to your cry for help if the trust isn't behind it. So that's why this message is so vitally important to us because we do need help. Each of us need help in our hour of need. And so what we need to do is we need to look to the God of the universe and say, God, you are faithful. You are powerful. You are wise. And so because of that, because of what I know about you, I am going to throw all of my life into your hands and I'm going to live my life that way until I see you face to face. And it's when we do that, that when we cry for help, God meets us. Because God has made promises to those who will trust Him. Now, let me, let me close with this. To trust God cannot be done in the theoretical. You can't say, great sermon, Tim. Yeah, I'll trust God. And you get this mindset, I'm going to trust God. To trust God means you have to do something with it. That's why as a little kid, we would sing in our children's church songs, trust and obey. Trust and obey. You can't have trust without obedience. And so when you say, I'm going to trust you, God, I'm going to obey you because the song says there's only one way to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. So don't leave here and just get a good saying, hey, I'm going to trust the Lord. Trusting the Lord means I am going to obey. I'm going to throw myself onto the Lord because God is utterly faithful to address whatever concerns you and I today. So give your life wholly and utterly to the Lord. And God says, listen, you will not be put to shame. Amen? So let's ask the Lord for that. Let's ask him for the strength for that. And when the rubber meets the road, let's obey him each and every step of the way. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for this word of truth. A great way, a great introduction to what we're going to learn in the weeks to come. We have many struggles. We have many fears. We have many anxieties. 
We have many issues that befall us. And you have said today, lean on me, trust me, rely on me, rest in me. So Lord, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would do that, not just in our minds, but with all of who we are, so that we may be able to see what you do for those who trust you. The vitality and clarity and the plenty you bring in our hour of need. And that we would glory in that moment in the God who provides and cares for his people. We love you and we give you the praise for it all in Christ's name. Amen.